to episode 187 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 16th of July, 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. How's it going? Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. Yeah, 187, MDK. <laughs> Murder, death, kill. Yes, be well, John Spartan. Anyway, let's get on with our discoveries then. Will, you have been using Firefox. Yes. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's this uh, open source browser, and it's all right, actually. I've been avoiding it because I thought that transferring all of my bookmarks and passwords and all that jazz was going to be a real pain in the backside. But after we covered the Firefox blog post about how easy it was a few weeks ago, I thought it was about time that I transferred over. And so I did that. I've got it installed on my XFCE Ubuntu box. I'm using it every day as my daily driver. I installed the Deb rather than the Snap because, well, because I like the Deb. I have transferred everything over to it and I've been using it every day and I am very happy with it. I have had very few negative effects. Uh, there's not been perfect by, by any stretch. Transferring the passwords over was okay. The default theme was a bit of a faff. Phelan lent me his tweaked CSS file that I tweaked a little bit more just to get it looking the way that I wanted to. 1970s communist style, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it, you know, that wasn't too bad. There's a bit of faffing that needed to go ahead, but it was, it was okay. I installed all the same extensions that I had in Chrome. So uh, Privacy Badger, Consent-O-Matic, uh, Disable JavaScript, and uBlock Origin. Installed all those from the store. They all work in exactly the same way. Consent-O-Matic? You sound worse than failing with that list of uh, extensions. <laughs> Consentomatic fills in the cookie pop-ups for you. Ah. It's not perfect, but it, it, does, uh, it doesn't do a bad <laughs> D- job. Does it tick all the boxes and give you all of the cookies? Yes, all the cookies, please. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, does, it does an okay job. The only downside is in Chrome, it just sort of gets on with it in the background. In Firefox, it disappears to the corner of the window and fills it in for you. And while you're waiting for it to do that, which takes a few seconds, you can't scroll the rest of the page, which is mildly annoying. But other than that, it's fine. So all transferred, everything across, nothing is broken. I think it is faster than Chrome. It feels better. My conscience is clear, and uh, I'm very happy with it. Uh, I also installed it on my phone, and that's not such a great story. The UX as compared to Chrome on my iOS device is really, really poor. The way that you move between tabs is clunky. I just, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel nearly as good as Chrome does. But nevertheless, I have stuck with it. I know that the underlying browser engine is the same, whatever. The UI over the top is all I really care about. And that was a little bit disappointing. But I'm going to stick with it anyway. So, yes, if anybody has been putting off moving from Chrome to Firefox because of password issues or worried about extensions not working or websites not working or whatever, rest assured, that is not the case. Everything just works. Phelan, is this a bit like uh, when your boy started school for the first time? <laughs> Pretty much. Can't continue with podcast too much. Oh. <laughs> ah, that's good to hear, though. I mean, genuinely, because uh, it just seems that uh, looking at the graph of user numbers is just too painful every time. And it is really nice to hear that you are pretty much getting on with it and just liking it. It's good. Yeah, I've got no plans to change back. I, don't, I have no need to change back. Have you not hit the odd website that needs, or web app or service or whatever, that needs Chrome yet? Not yet. 
No, nothing. I mean, I'm the same. I, I don't know what these sites are, and frankly, they can fuck right off. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, Source Connect is one that I used to have to use for some work stuff, but don't anymore. So, yeah, it's been a long time since I've had to fire up Chrome. Well, actually, that's not true because I actually upload all of the YouTube videos for the podcast in Chrome because it's just a better experience. Who knew that the Chrome browser would give you a better Google YouTube experience than Firefox? Conspiracy. Actually, there's there's one thing that I have noticed, and wouldn't you believe it, with Google services, Google Maps is nowhere near as smooth to scroll around and fast to zoom in and out, which I put down to Google being bastards. Have you heard of OpenStreetMap? <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, next week, next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds all excellently positive. Well done, Will. Phelan, you seem to have not had such a great time with Docker and Unify. I wouldn't go so far as saying, I mean, it works now. It was a bit of a faff, but that is, I don't know, you see, Will was a good boy, so I feel bad now they're going to like bad mouth him about that <laughs> horrific Wi-Fi system he got me hooked into. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I have had a Raspberry Pi sitting here for oh quite a long time now running the Unify wireless access controller software. And it started at 16.04. I upgraded it to 18.04 but not the MongoDB part because it liked an older version at the time. And then I went to try and upgrade it to 2004 and that was an absolute disaster. And I went, there has to be a nicer way to do this. Talked to someone that listens to the show, Jeffrey, and he said, oh, I'm using it on a Docker image. Um, And he sent me the list to it. And I said, all right, it's worth running. So yeah, eventually installed it, got it working. I've had no real reason to use Docker for the vast majority of things I use. I had used it once for a client that was running a document sharing system, but up till now, really, I, I don't like it overly. I don't like the idea behind it, but with Unify and the horrible way that they don't support modern Mongo for some reason, and then they don't support it on 32-bit Raspberry Pi, I just thought it's time to break away from this now and go to Docker on my machine. And uh, it was relatively okay. Put that on the poster. <laughs> the, well, the unfortunate <laughs> thing was I had upgraded to .67, the point release, and fuck a bunch of Unify. The point release at the very end should not determine that the backup can't be imported into a .66. That shouldn't be changing, but they did, and they broke it. So I had to kind of go from a really old backup. But eventually I got it running. And yeah, I think you talked about having firmware issues, Will. Mm. I was beginning to blame Docker and them, but I'm now looking at it and I think it might be the firmware where the access points are kind of switching off and then not picking back up properly and you have to kind of kick them along. But uh, yeah, I guess Docker journey slowly okay, like usual, might be last to the party, but eventually get there. I think we should talk about Unify another day, obviously, but um, things do really seem to be going downhill with their Wi-Fi access points, the firmware quality, the UI, what do you call it, the management system quality, does all seem to be going downhill in the last couple of years. And the worst part is that when it works, it's a great system. Mm. Should have bought TP-Link, chaps. Uh, I should have, yeah. Where was Jim and his amazingly nonsense gear? Oh, sorry, great gear for cheap, yeah. Or Mikrotik, even. Or a couple of Raspberry Pis. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. I reckon we could knock something up pretty easily. 
Yeah, I'm sure performance would be excellent. It would be. You just see. You can't have it, though. It'll be the No Joes license. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, I'll just buy some TP-Link ones and be fine. What's XDG Ninja? Right, here's a test. In our secret chat, I have pasted a command. All do this now and tell me what the oldest thing you have is. In your home directory, obviously. And no, Graham, not on your Mac. <laughs> so this is ls-lat. It is. Okay, mine is uh, 2018.xScreensaver. Okay. 8th of November last year. Ugh. Come on, Graham, salvage this one. Well, the thing is, I'm not on my, I'm not on my main machine. Ah. Oh. But my, I know my KD configuration in that is like from the 2000s. Oh, God. Okay, right. You might win then. So my oldest is March 29th, 2011, when I moved onto the, my workstation, when I moved back to Ireland. So as you can imagine, there's quite a lot of shite in that directory. Lots of dot .files for things that probably don't even exist as projects anymore. XDG Ninja, which is a questionable name, uh, but when you run it, it will actually go through that and tell you how you can get rid of that dot directory or move it somewhere else and use the XDG path variables for config home and things like that and then merge them into new directories and it'll understand the config files and help you get rid of that and clean up your dots, which is great. Very handy. <laughs> Not really, but <laughs> I, I have genuinely gone through that list many times and gone, I don't use that, I don't use that, and deleted it and sometimes made a terrible, terrible mistake, but just all in the effort of cleaning up. I know exactly what you mean. I've gone through many times and thought, I definitely don't need that, but I haven't deleted it. And I've just copied it around, backed it up from machine to machine to machine, various backups. I'm sure it's gigabytes of shit that I don't need at this point. You would be surprised. Some of them are quite spectacular. I should probably look into this. In fact, no, what I should do is just know that I've got my backups, they work, and just start totally from scratch. That's how to test your backups, all right? <laughs> well, just build it up from, you know, okay, I definitely need the Audacity one. Okay, I definitely need the Firefox one. But the rest of it can just get fucked and just, you know, I'll just build it all up. That's probably what I should do. But this XDG Ninja sounds like a good halfway house. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux, support the show, and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. And check out their managed MySQL, Postgres, and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups, and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. All right, Graham, you have been playing with a Steam Deck. We're a little bit late to this party. You obviously didn't <laughs> sign up in time to get one of the first ones. He was a femtosecond too late. Yeah, but uh, you were pretty pleased with it by the sounds of things. Yeah, I mean, actually, I was there the nanosecond they became available. It just <laughs> took me an hour and 20 minutes to actually check out. <laughs> yeah, so over a year later, I finally got my 
a thing of 512 gig, the half a half terabyte version. And that's, I suppose, the first thing that I also got an SD card to go along with it. And next time, I think I, I wouldn't worry about getting the expensive version and go for the cheaper version, which is like, I don't know, £360, £370, because the SD card access is really quick. But the main thing is, I can't believe that I'm buying this Linux machine running KDE Plasma with a touchscreen, with a pretty good GPU on it. Don't forget Arch. Yeah, and it's Arch. It's Arch. It's read-only Arch. Um, Discover lets you install flat packs. It works really well. I mean, Discover on KD Plasma must be getting absolutely hammered by the people that are installing emulators on that thing. And lots of people have given their takes on it, so I don't really want to repeat. But I have... I'm a kind of typical middle-aged guy. I don't have any time to like play in my huge library of Steam games that I've been collecting for 20 years in various sales. But having this, I find myself being able to sit on the sofa, be a little bit more sociable and catch up on some of the games that I've just not been able to play. And it's running Linux. And the experience of... I've tried loads of games now. I filled up one and a half terabytes of data on that thing, which is more than my games PC. Of games that I haven't been able to play, emulated games as well. I have no desire, and I don't think anybody else will, to install Windows on it because the native, the Steam OS shell, if that's what it is, because it seems to kind of boot to this mode, it gets rid of X. It's really good. You can suspend and resume instantly, unlike any other Linux I've used. <laughs> Sound also works. Whoa. Um, and I've been able, and most games I'm playing are running through Proton. And a lot of games I've tried to play are not officially supported. Almost everything works. Things like um, XCOM Enemy Unknown, which isn't supported, it works because you've got the mouse emulation. But also, like really modern AAA titles like Cyberpunk. I know you're not into games, Joe. That works really well. I can't get over that I have this thing in my hand that will play these brilliant games. You've just said that somebody, you got Cyberpunk working. That, I think that's also a record, surely. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's running Proton in the background. There are problems. There are glitches in it. It's not as seamless as a Switch. But not really. By and large, I think most people won't be bothered by it. I wish there was an OLED display. I wish the battery life was better. But and even I found that there's a lot of tinkering you can do. There's a lot of experimentation. You can change, for example, the, the amount of watts that the GPU is given. And often I've been able to drop it down from like 12 to 4. Um, there's a brilliant game called Tunic that works brilliantly. And then battery life by default is about an hour and a half, two hours on a AAA title. And, and some games you can kind of get four out of it, but that's maybe the weakest part, the battery life. But I'm willing to accept it. Emulations, all Linux stuff. You install it through going to the desktop mode. Um, I've I've tried lots of them. Games that I genuinely do own: PS2, PS3 games, a Switch. I tried Link's Awakening, kind of runs okay. PS2 stuff kind of works. PS3 stuff kind of works. GameCube stuff really works well. So it's like a it's brilliant. People have talked about this, but there's a script called EmuDeck. I don't want to go over it again, but it basically sets up a load of emulators for you and more importantly sets up um, the Steam ROM manager configuration files to be able to add these things to Steam, which is the Steam OS native experience on the Steam Deck. So it all feels so well integrated and also sets up the controllers. It works really well. Both of those things together, EmuDeck, which is like a, a bash script basically, and Steam ROM manager, which downloads all the assets to make it feel like a native game. I could go on and on about it. It works really well, and I love it. Have you tried connecting it to a screen or anything? I haven't. I've I've plugged it into a couple of docks, but not to a screen. But what I have done, 
some my favorite bit about it actually is the controllers the the two analog joysticks and the buttons are pretty good but the analog joysticks are in, in particular are the best joysticks i've got access to and i've got a steam controller i've got lots of other controllers and so what i've done is i've shared the steam deck games to a steam client running on my tv and then played games on my tv streamed through the network while using the steam deck as my best controller which works really well ah oh, my mind there's, <laughs> there's about 50 i think it's 15 or 20 seconds uh, 20 milliseconds latency which i'm used to and um, because i do that a lot anyway but yeah the controllers are amazing i love it wow there's a game called Overload, which is like a Linux native version of Descent. It's really complicated, uses all the buttons, uses all the joysticks. And I feel like I'm 20 again playing it on a PS1. It's great. And it's Linux, and I can't believe that Valve have kind of delivered it. And I think, and from getting into it a little bit and watching YouTube videos of people who have absolutely no exposure to Linux before now, they're getting into it. They're getting into showing people how to use KDE of all things and how to download stuff and configure their emulators. I think it's going to be brilliant for Linux. It already is. Firefox and Will, you and Steam and KDE, I can't take this. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it's a proper shit sandwich, this. <laughs> <laughs> well, like we talked about last time, defaults are king. And it seems that not that many people are looking to install Windows on these devices because it isn't as good an experience. And who could have seen that coming? Certainly not me. Yeah, and I've, I've bought into Valve before with the HTC Vive and their Index VR headsets, and I've watched their user interfaces develop very slowly over five or six years and their Linux support developing very slowly over those years. So I didn't have very high hopes for Steam OS on the Steam Deck, and also there was Steam OS on Linux PCs that we saw, I don't know, 10 years ago. But they've really nailed it. There's an overlay for performance. This is stuff that everyone will know already, which is brilliant. And the amount of control and configuration you have over controllers and over how much you can optimize each game that's running, even if it's an emulator, that overlay is always accessible. And this is all running on Linux. It's amazing. Well, my discovery is about batteries and battery health. So there are many different ways to see how healthy your battery is in your laptop or your Steam Deck or whatever other device you've got. And INXI is a great way to do it. And I only learned about this recently. If you do INXI-B, it'll tell you how much charge you've got on your battery at the moment, and more importantly, what the percentage health is. And this has led me down a rabbit hole of realizing that batteries lie to the system. I had a battery in one of my laptops that was saying like 70-something percent health. But then I heard that if you run it all the way down and then charge it all the way back up, it kind of calibrates it. And then it was like at 90-something afterwards. So I don't know which version of it was lying to me, but um, either way, INXI-B is the, the way to tell. And um, tangentially, if you have got an Apple device, I know that this is not open source Ooh. or whatever, but <laughs> coconut battery will tell you. And macOS just straight up fucking lies to you. It says 100% battery for half an hour and then clicks down to 99. But it's actually at like 98.6 and it's still telling you 100%. And coconut battery will do this for you. Or of course, if you've got an M1 Mac and you've installed Asahi, you can just run INXI-B and it will tell you the same thing that it's at 90 whatever point whatever and uh same with ipads and everything apple 
just they just fucking round it up and just say, oh, you got 100%. And oh, yeah, it's 100% health, <laughs> even though it's only 96 or whatever. They are a shower of bastards when it comes to battery health. So you'd be very pleased to hear that it's a much better state on Linux than uh, the Mac for him. <laughs> I, I doubt that the uh, coconut battery application is in the store then. No, I think I just downloaded a... Is it a DMG or a oh, dot app? I don't, I don't know, even yeah. fucking know. But you can actually connect your iPad to your Mac and Coconut Battery will tell you the stats for that as well. So uh, it's uh, an absolute must-have if you care about battery health. I don't really care because all my Apple stuff is 100% my batteries. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by Collide. Traditional endpoint security tools can make your workplace feel like a surveillance state turn users and the IT team into adversaries, and ultimately drive your employees to work on unsecured personal devices. It doesn't have to be this way. Collide is a device security solution built around honest security. Their philosophy is that employees aren't your biggest security risk, they're your biggest allies, and your relationship with them should be based on transparency and informed consent. Collide works by notifying your employees of security issues via Slack, and giving them step-by-step instructions on how to resolve them themselves. For IT and security teams, Collide provides the right level of visibility for Mac, Windows, and Linux devices. It can answer questions about your fleet's security that traditional MDMs can't. You can meet your security goals without compromising your values. Visit collide.com slash late-night-linux to find out how. If you follow that link, they'll hook you up with a goodie bag just for activating a free trial. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash late night linux on to a bit of admin then first of all thank you everyone who supports us with paypal and patreon we really do appreciate that you can learn more at latenightlinux.com slash support and remember for ten dollars or more per month on patreon you can get an advert free rss feed that includes this show linux downtime and linux after dark and if you want to get in contact you can email show at latenightlinux.com let's do some feedback then and firstly, thanks to Aruni, I think is how you say that. They were inspired to create a Python script which has scraped our show notes and produced a list of discoveries that we talked about a couple of uh, weeks ago. So I was hopeful that would happen. You see, this is where you have to hold back. Don't do the work yourself. Let someone else do it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so there, there's a db.md which has got the discoveries up to the last episode before this one that we did discoveries on. But there is the Python script there to uh, keep it up to date if you want to. That is awesome. Love it. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, excellent work. Thank you very much. Better bookmark this because I'll need it. (laughs) (laughs) So Michael got in touch about GitHub Copilot. I understand Will's initial reaction to think that this is a cool learning approach. There is a huge caveat, though. How much of this learned knowledge will be wrong? Just imagine the amount of code on GitHub that relies on deprecated libraries or doesn't adhere to good practices or the amount of vulnerabilities not yet discovered, which now are part of the training data. I think the example of Grammarly that Graham brought up is a good one. It's a great tool for someone who speaks the language and knows it well enough to make conscious decisions whether to use some suggestions or not but give it to someone with only surface knowledge of the language and the end product will be most underwhelming i believe the same goes for github pilot but let's even ignore the problem then you still have a problem of it being just a statistical interpolation of already seen code we're so much further from the sentient ai that people might think from all the hype around it copilot won't drive innovation and thus won't replace well-trained experienced engineers but i encourage 
my manager to give it a try. <laughs> I'll take a week off and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> P.S. I recommend looking into Language Tool as a potential replacement for Grammarly. They do have a paid-for product, but there's also an open-source project. That's at languagetool.org slash dev. You can deploy your own Language Tool server, not to mention in addition to the web browser add-ons, there's a bunch of community plugins for, say, Google Docs or even Vim. I imagine other editors as well. Well, that language tool org thing given that you haven't rolled your own pocket replacement i can't see you uh, replacing grammarly anytime soon because every time we talk about pocket we get people saying ah oh, well there's this that and the other yeah. self-hosted option but you're just holding out for them open sourcing it eh? i personally am yeah it does bother me i don't really like grammarly it bugs me I'd heard bad things about Grammarly, about how the implementation was such that it can just like read everything that yeah. is going on in your browser, and it's really bad for privacy. I don't think they've done anything specifically bad with it, but just the way it was implemented wasn't uh, very well thought through. Well, all your text goes off-site. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if that's still the case, but at one point I heard uh, about that, and that put me off, and so I've never bothered looking into it. The problem I have is that GitHub Copilot is only as good as what you feed it. And if you are a actual native foreign language speaker and you see some of the utter drivel that Google Translate produces, you'll know that they can't even get that right and they're basing that on natural language that everybody can do. And now you're cutting that down to a subset that do programming languages and we're expecting you know great things to come from the system. And we constantly have this argument where AI is going to be so good and all the people who are into AI are pimping it like mad and it's just never as good as it actually wants to be. So I think the the comment about the sort of quality of the code, the copy and paste nature of it, is, is the garbage in, garbage out rule going to apply here? I think that the same rule applies to other sources of learning coding on the internet, such as um, Stack Exchange. If you you go on there and you look for a particular problem. There are as many very wrong answers as there are correct answers, probably uh, more, actually. But then they get voted up, don't they, the good ones? Yeah, see, that's my thing, is there's actual discourse about that bug where someone can say, no, you're just doing that totally wrong, and this is why. And there's there's a back and forth. Whereas if you have something that is just auto-completing, you're just going, well, I'm assuming that this is the superior tool that knows what it's talking about, and tab, 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 all the way across. Whereas, you know, you don't have that back and forth. But you don't need that back and forth because the AI has, I say AI in inverted commas, has gone to, you know, a thousand GitHub projects and it's compared and contrasted the different ways of doing things and it has upvoted the correct one itself by nature of there being more of them done in that particular way. <laughs> I stand by my, it depends <laughs> what you feed it though. No, but also... Isn't it going to monitor what you eventually upload to GitHub and know whether it suggested those things and it'll know whether it's been effective? Yeah, and then at some point it becomes self-aware and uh, <laughs> then we're all <laughs> fucked. No, but it does learn, doesn't it? That's the whole point of it, uh, that you train it in the first place and then it trains itself a little bit more based on what you do with it. And the, you upload this code, it gets so many stars on GitHub and therefore you must have done a good job. Yeah, exactly. I am not just being a Luddite for the sake of it, but I genuinely <laughs> think this is where you start to lose the battle of intelligent development because there is a reason that we 
sort of develop these things ourselves and work through them, if we we are handing a whole load of thinking off to something else that we don't actually understand, and that is a problem. And if ever there is a point where this comes up in a like a legal case, for instance, where they're you know they're uh, picking people out of a lineup based on whatever this device has chosen that they are a terrorist, you can't genuinely put your finger on where the point where it said this is the reason why because it's all black box statistical nonsense well it sounds like you need to listen to linux downtime episode 51 i would have already uh, listened to it a week ago by now (laughs) oh yeah but do listen to that for a a longer discussion of uh github copilot well a, a positive discussion of it uh you know i tried to play devil's advocate but i just don't know enough about development to know whether it really is good or not but two people who are in that world say it's great and uh that's good enough for me and will you've been using it as well and you say that it's so far so good for you yeah i've been very impressed with it i've only been writing some fairly straightforward python programs uh, oh no i lie and some c plus plus on arduino but yeah the the amount of time it has saved me in what is for want of a better word boilerplate code has been phenomenal and it's been correct and it's been contextually aware from comments and things like that. It's kind of uncanny, but so far I am quite impressed. Well, I feel like I've been saying this a lot lately, but do let us know your thoughts. I'm really interested in this. It feels like a big thing, Copilot and Amazon's one as well. So if you've been using it out there, do email in and let us know how you got on with it. Show at latenightlinux.com. But with that, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when who knows what we're going on. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.